you can see this morning, uh, we will celebrate communion together. And so if you're at home and need some elements, need some things to help you remember, um, you can gather those. It, it is about remembering. It seems that that's a big deal to God. When the children of Israel come through the Jordan River and they pile up a bunch of rocks, when Jesus says to his disciples, when you do this, remember me. And so as we remember the last year, we celebrate all kinds of things. I was mentioned that it's been two years today that Steve Johnson and Michaela Graft went through their surgery. Uh, I mean, I, I can't think of, I mean, can we celebrate any more today? My goodness sakes, that God is faithful and he, he does this good stuff. And as we remember, we remember all of these things that bring us joy and, and good stuff. But then we remember the last year and maybe years before for you where God uh, seems to have been present with us as intimately in the joys in loss and sadness and even devastation. I think about the, the ones that we've lost in our church body and connected to those whom we dearly love in our church body over the last year. And we cannot remember without remembering both death and resurrection. It's just intimately connected. And so this, this is my guess, that over the last year, that there have been moments in your life when you have felt like God is distant, like he's not even paying attention, like he is not even asleep at the wheel, like where is he? Nobody's even in the car. Why are things going this way? Why do I feel so dejected or lost? Or why does it seem like, and you fill in the blank, things aren't going the way I would like, our family is at each other, emotions are running high, loss is everywhere, and it's intimate and it's broad. If you were in one of those moments over the last year, even, even further back, if you were in that moment of feeling like, God, where are you? And, and why do I feel like you're not close? And then you stumbled on, just by chance, you stumbled on Psalm 139. The, the truths that are there, if you were in the right place, maybe alone and private and just able to hear your own thinking and pay attention to your heart, you would have sensed God's presence. I think the words of Psalm 139 may have even driven you to tears in that moment if you were raw enough, if you were aware. This is what David writes. And so just think about the last year and, and maybe how alone you might have felt from time to time. He says this, oh Lord, you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know, you know everything I do. I mean, there are moments in your life and my life when we just need to have a sense that God sees us, right? That he is paying attention, that he is with us, that we are not alone. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes that is enough just to lift our heart just a little to believe and know and understand that God will never leave us. And David takes this moment in Psalm 139 and just reminds us as he writes the poetry and the lyrics contained in this one song. 
And he doesn't just leave it there that God sees you. I mean, that could be good news or bad news, depending on who you are and what you did last week, right? He doesn't just leave it there. He, he ties it into the very details, the intimate parts of our life. He says, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. Oh my goodness, if God knows that, what else does he know? He knows it all. In fact, he just said it, right? God, you know everything about me. And I, I can't read these first few verses without thinking about pandemic and, and sheltering in place at home when he says, and you know and you see me when I rest at home. And I think about all of us that this time last year were trying to figure out are we working from home? Are we not working? Are we going to see other people? And what does this even look like? How does it work? And we all went to our homes. And there's this, this sense that when David writes all of this, that, that there's not even a trace of, of embarrassment or shame. You don't pick that up at all in the, the heart of this song you know everything about me. He just lays it out. As if he is a man after God's own heart. As if, as if he has spent time with God in the wilderness and in the desert. And he's just describing his best friend. I mean, he doesn't stop there. This song goes on. It's many verses. He says these things. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. So it's not just true for him, it's true for you too. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And when I wake up, say it with me, in green right there, say it with me, you ready? And when I wake up, you are still with me. It's as if God is right there with David, you know, and David falls asleep. And you know, the scriptures say that God does not sleep nor does he slumber. He rests, but he does not sleep or slumber. So God is there, he's with David, and David falls asleep, and then he wakes up in the morning, and God's like, hey, how'd you sleep? How are you? It's gonna be a great day. David says, and when I wake up, you're right there with me. And I'd be like, oh, can I get some coffee first? You know, just give me a minute, you know, my brain's not even on, and God's like, okay, you know, take your time, but I'm right here, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. I don't know about you, but when I read these verses, it, it, it gives me a sense of peace. Even if the, some of the days of my life I would never want to live over again, never want to go through those experiences to know that God was there before me, that it's like I'm hiking with him and he said, you know, it's okay. I've been down this trail before. We're going to make it. It's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. We can get through this together. That he's been through it before gives me a sense of trust and I want to open my hands before God and say, okay, I mean, I, it looks kind of rough, but if, if you're with me, then I'm with you and we can get through this together. This is the sense of who God is and this psalm begins to lay it out in incredible and powerful ways. And as David does that, and he lays out this information for us and helps us understand it, we begin to realize that as we open this psalm, this whole series, Honest to God, all about psalms, as we open this psalm, that it answers two incredibly large and looming questions that we have. And this is the first one. God, where are you? He tells us. I feel alone, and the answer is there. 
these large and looming questions that we have. The lyrics and the poetry in Psalm 139. It's a sense of beauty to help answer some of our questions. And this first one is a big one. God, are you with us? Are you with me? And when we ask that question, because life can seem so long, life can feel so unpredictable. Life can feel so wearisome and difficult and painful and stressful. And maybe over the last year, if you've had that feeling that I, I, don't, I don't know that God is with me, you probably said at some point, maybe out loud, maybe in your prayers, maybe to a friend, maybe you even just confessed, I, I am all alone. This is, this is what's happening now. I, I'm all alone because of the relentless nature of the pandemic or your unemployment or the financial issues or the relational tension that you feel. I am all alone. I don't know what to do. This burden that I have about how to make life work, the issues that we're facing, I don't know what to do about my kids. They seem very discontent and I don't even know how we're gonna find our way out of the mess that we're in. Not to mention political tension, racial issues. And we get in a spot where we are convinced I'm all alone. You're not with me. Sure, God is not with me. I'm certain of those things. And when we get in that spot, and we believe this to be true, we start to have this understanding that, oh, well, I need a map. I need to figure it out. I need to solve the problem. I need to unravel what's happening so that we can find our way out. And those of you that have this ability, some of you do in the room and listening online, you have this ability to see problems before other people see them. Is that you? You see them coming, and nobody else sees them coming. And so you're wringing your hands. You're a little anxious. You see it coming down the road just as clear as a bus on Main Street, but nobody else seems to see it. And when you see it, you feel like, well, if you don't see it and you don't see it, who's going to fix this? Well, it must be me. I'm the one that has to fix this. It's the, it's the burden of wisdom that you have. And it happens at work, and it happens in your family, and it happens with all kinds of issues, financial and relational, and every, every place. And so we say, I am all alone. I just am. And even though we say this, I'm all alone, what we really mean is, is this, I, I feel alone. I feel alone. When we have this feeling, well, let's just find a little solidarity in the room. And you at home, you can just assume you're going to see a bunch of hands come up. How many of you felt this way over the last 12 months at one point or another? Let's just put it into the last year. Put your hands up and just look around the room. Very good. So we have a ways to describe this feeling of feeling alone. The philosophers of, of the day and and throughout history had a name for it. They called it existential dread. We have other names for it, like anxiety, depression, fear. It can come out in a lot of other ways too, like aggression, 
and anger. These feelings that we have when we feel alone can feel more real than the chair that you're sitting on. They make up the landscape of our life and we believe them to be real. And they are. It's how we feel. But we did just read some pretty powerful words out of Psalm 139, didn't we? And if you could summarize Psalm 139 with a few ideas, it would really be these three ideas all wrapped up into one thing. God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you see me and I know that you know me. You can read the whole Psalm. It's incredibly beautiful. I know that you know me and I also know that you are with me. I know that you see me and I know that you know me. I'm wonderfully and fearfully made and you knit me together in all of my intricate ways. And I know that you are with me, that you will never depart from me. And yet we have in this same moment, we can have this feeling that we are completely alone. And so we're stuck in a way. We, we, we see this and we know it, but we feel this way. We know this is true. We know it's a reality. We've been told that if you've been in church for very long at all or know something about who God is and how he relates to you, this is true, but yet we still find ourselves going back to that same emotional island. I feel alone. And so we end up being stuck. And where we're stuck is this ping-ponging back and forth. You've experienced it. What's really going on there? What's happening? Why is it a problem? Well, there's often a disconnect between what we know, God knows me, sees me, he's with me, and what we feel. I feel very alone. And this gap where this idea fits and many other ideas, a thousand different ideas, you have many, sit right in this gap between what we know and what we feel. And we have a name for this. We have an understanding of this. And we say that this is, well, this is my head and this is my heart. We can feel like two different people. Has anybody told you sometimes you seem like two different people? They say, well, I don't know which one of you I'm going to get. And what they mean is the one who knows or the one who feels. The one who's rational or the one who just reacts and seems to be operating based on everything that's going on and a heart full of turmoil. And we see this happening in a thousand different ways. We can say, I know, I know this to be is absolutely true. I am reconciled to God. I know that he loves me, but I don't feel forgiven. And so we carry guilt and shame with us. We can say, look, I know scriptures say it over and over again that God has given me everything that I need. But when I show up at work or when I engage in a conversation with my kids and they're lost and they don't know what's up and I don't know how to help them, I know God has given me everything I need, but I feel so inadequate. I don't know what to do with that feeling. And it's this disconnect. And so we call it things like the the head and the heart, the rational me, the irrational me, as if there were two people walking around in one body. This is why you can be going along on any given Tuesday 
and you're having a great day. It's a good day. You feel it. I don't know, maybe you had cinnamon rolls for breakfast or something, but it's a good day. And you are moving along in your day and somebody can say something. A memory can come up. A comment can be made. You can overhear a discussion. You get an email. Maybe you get a text. And all of a sudden, your good day has turned into an emotional wreck. Has it ever happened to you? How can that be? Is it because you found out something and you don't know how to feel about it? And that feeling might not be feeling alone. It could be, I feel angry. I feel lost. I feel isolated. I feel down, sullen, no affect. I don't even know how to feel, and so it remains a blank. It could be anything. When this happens, and when this has happened to you over the last year, we have all kinds of reactions to it. But it's a universal experience. We all get ambushed by feelings that we don't know what to do with. And when we do, usually we do one of a few things. We pretend like it's not there and then it pokes its head up again and shows up again and again and again. So we deny it. We shove it down and sometimes that works. Sometimes we look for something to take its place. For me, that's usually food. And so I eat my what? I eat my feelings, and I love to eat my feelings. And so when I eat my feelings and the insulin kicks in and the sugar rush happens, all of a sudden I forgot what that bad feeling was, and I'm back to what I know, and I'm happy feel again until I crash again and the feelings come back. Sometimes we try to argue them away. Sometimes they show up as anger towards somebody else, and it has nothing to do with what that circumstance is. Sometimes we grab our phone and open it up and try to find the next little dopamine rush so that we can feel better about who we are, our life, or that people indeed really do like us. And we do everything that we can do to shove them away. And you know what? Here's what you know, and here's what I know. It works. It works. They go away. I mean, not forever. Usually they lurk. They lurk until another thing happens, another comment comes, another discussion ensues. Somebody points out that thing that we don't like to think about, and they come rushing back. And so we feel stuck because there's a gap between what we know and what we feel. I know the psalm says that God is with me, but I feel like he's distant. I know that God loves me. In fact, there's nothing that God can do but love me. Then why do I feel so unlovable? Here's what's beautiful about the psalms. I don't want you to miss this because most of us, if we were to name some of our favorite scriptures, we would go to the Psalms. But if we were to describe why, well, we don't really know. We can't really put our finger on it. We like what they say or we like how they make us feel. I believe the Psalms are in scripture for a very specific reason. And if we understand why they're there, and if we understand how to read them, then God will use the Psalms, 150 of them, to guide us in a very unique path. 
Here's what I believe about this gap between what we know and what we feel and what the Psalms are for. The Psalms teach us how to integrate what we know and what we feel. We, we said it sometimes feels like we're two different people. You know, the rational one of us and then the irrational, the, the stable, the gentle one, and then the emotional one who's just flying off the handle or found a corner in the house to hide until we feel better. The Psalms teach us how to take those two bubbles and move them together in such a unique way that what we know and what we feel, well, it's not too different. It's the same person. This is what's meant by the idea of integrity. We think integrity means being good morally. That's not what it means. It comes from the word integer, which means a whole number. It means that there are multiple parts of us that God wants to reconcile and pull into one unified heart, one unified mind and soul, that we would love God with our whole person. And the scripture that explains this articulates every part of who we are what we know and what we feel. And so to integrate means integrity. It means if you and I are gonna find integrity that what we know and what we feel, well, that gap shrinks. And the Psalms help shrink this gap in incredible ways, in powerful ways. And they do it in two really important ways. The Psalms were really... They exist in our Bible in a form, but they were individual songs, each one of them, 150. They were songs that were sung corporately by the nation of Israel and privately by individuals as they worshiped. The Psalms are art, and art is a unique thing. Art, it's all in the eye of the beholder. We were in the Louvre, Donna and I, a couple years ago, and we, we walked into this room. We knew we were in that room to see the Mona Lisa, and the crowd was thick. And I don't know, if you, the Mona Lisa, it's about the size of a postage stamp, if you've ever seen it. It's very, very small, and it's a lot smaller than you think it is. And we walked into this room, and we could just feel the, the, you know, the sense of awe among most people as they gaze upon this probably the most famous work of art in history. And there were some people who would see it and maybe try to get close to it. There's a rope to keep you back, you know, as if we're going to draw a mustache on the Mona Lisa, you know. And there were a lot of people that would just kind of gaze and look and they would say, I just don't get it. And maybe you felt that way when you looked at a piece of art. And I'm thinking, you know you're looking at the Mona Lisa, right? You know you're in France. You know you're in this place, this incredibly famous museum. Do you understand? And they would say, I just don't get it. And I would think, I don't know if I get it or not, but I'm really going to try, so I'm going to stare at it for a while. <laughs> it's art. You're not supposed to get it. You're supposed to experience it. The, the lyrics of the Psalms... Oh, they can take you down unbelievably convoluted paths. Some of the most difficult verses to understand in Scripture are in the Psalms. And I just don't get it. That's right. It's art. And the art of the Psalms doesn't necessarily affect what you know, although it will if you hang with me a minute, but it speaks to what you feel. David talks about how lonely he is or how forsaken he is. It speaks to what we feel. But of course, you're reading an ancient language been translated into your language so that you can understand it. And it will address, if you let it, what you know while it speaks to some of the deepest longings, frustrations, and joys of your heart. 
It will address what you feel. But we are so much more comfortable with what we know than what we feel. When I was in high school, I worked at a golf course. And there was a guy, that older guy that worked there. He managed it and I worked for him. His name was Frank. It was the first time I ever heard somebody say the phrase, hey, what do you know? You know, just sort of this little greeting. You've used it. Some people have used it with you. I'd walk in every day after school to work my little shift five hours before I'd try to get some homework done before the next day. And Frank, great big fella, burly fella, he would say, hey, Phil, what do you know? And as I tried to figure out what he meant by that, I thought at first I'm supposed to tell him something I know. I didn't know he was saying hello to me. I began to wonder, why is it, what do you know? And I wondered what it would be like if I said to him, hey, Frank, what are you feeling? (laughs) And he would look at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. Why? Oh, we're Western people. We're much more comfortable with the things that we know than what we feel. This is why we eat our feelings. This is why we drug away our feelings. This is why we drink away our feelings. Because our feelings take us places we don't want to go. The Psalms teach me and you that while our feelings may not be helpful or pleasant or even lead us in good places mentally, emotionally, They're important to recognize, acknowledge, and know. And if you don't, they'll ambush you every day of the week. If you don't figure out a way to shrink this gap, then you will forever be stuck between what you know and what you feel. If you've been stuck in your walk with Jesus, it's because that gap is big and real and you've never really thought about it that way. And you've never decided to address it. And you're not comfortable talking about your feelings per se, but it's not like you're different than the rest of us. You still have them. You just haven't figured out what to do with them. The Psalms are art, and they teach us how to deal with our feelings. That's the first reason. The the second reason is this, and this is super important. The the authors of the Psalms, David and a bunch of others that wrote these songs for the nation of Israel and for us too, they didn't hide their feelings. They brought them all out. You've been taught to hide your feelings. You've been taught to, some feelings are good and some are bad and you should just, you know, stuff the bad ones away and pretend like they don't exist. You've been taught not to trust your feelings. You've been taught that your feelings are lead you into places you shouldn't be. But for some reason, when the Psalms were written and when David spoke about his feelings, he just decided that there's no shame, there's no reason to hide them. I'm just going to unveil them. I'm just going to put them out there. Little did he know he was writing them for all of the, all of the rest of us to read for the rest of history. And the Holy Spirit led him to write these incredible incriminating, it seems, revelatory phrases about his own heart. And so we get to see it. And then we get to identify it and walk with him through all of it. In fact, there's, there's about four verses in Psalm 139 that I'll show you that, that are almost unthinkable when you think about David being a man after God's own heart. I mean, Psalm 139, it's soaring, it's beautiful. It says that God sees us, he knows us, he's with us. But then right in the middle of it, David starts to deal with his his own heart and his own uh, hatred. In fact, this is what it says. 
This is uh, almost impossible to believe. He begins to talk about God's enemies in the middle of this psalm, close to the end. And when he begins to talk about God's enemies, he begins just sort of saying what's on his mind and what's on his heart, which is what you do when you're around somebody that you trust, that you believe isn't going to judge you, is going to allow you to be who you really are. Not two people, one you see and one you hide. Somebody that you really trust. And so David's the king, if you remember. And King David believes and knows and understands that he has been placed in kingship because God placed him there. He's God's anointed. And of course, when you're king, you're always under siege. Somebody is always after the king. But this person, whoever it is who's after the king, can't be on God's side. Why? Well, David knows. He's God's anointed. So anybody that's against him has to be against God. And so David, he gets confused about who his enemies are and who God's enemies are. And so then he finally says this, Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? And if it seems to you like, my goodness, didn't this song just change tone a little bit? It sure did. Because David's dealing with some things in his own heart. He doesn't know what to do with it. And then he finally says this. He answers his own question, which is a good place to start when you're trying to vent and understand your feelings. And then he says this. And this is David, man after God's own heart. He says this. Yes, I hate them. How does he hate them? With what? That's a lot of hate. Come on, that's some pure hate, right? David ain't messing around. Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. Not only did he say he hated somebody, that's, that's pretty bad. Not only, you, you, you won't even say that. You won't even say that. If you have kids, you teach them not to say that. You teach them not to use the word. But David here is using it. Not only does he hate them, he says it's, it's, it's a lot of hatred. It's, in fact, it's, it's the perfect version of hate. It's got everything in it. Then he spiritualizes it and decides that God must want him to feel this way. Come on, think about that. God already answered this question, right? Don't you want me to hate those who hate you? Um, no, David, have you read the law? The law is not about rules. The law is about love. In fact, the law makes it clear. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, what about those foreigners? Oh, the law makes that clear too. You welcome the foreigner. Isn't there anybody? No, there's not. Jesus made it clear when he taught about it. Jesus didn't bring a new law about love. He just affirmed what the Jews already knew in the Torah. God already answered this question for David over and over and over again. And yet David is able to say to God, I have a spiritual reason, you've given it to me, God, for me to feel this way in a complete and full way. And when I see verses like this, I'm so grateful for the honesty of the Psalms and the honesty of Scripture. Because I have feelings that are just like that, and I don't know what to do with them. I don't even think it's proper to admit them. And when we do, I believe God says, now we can get to work. Now we have something to deal with. 
Thanks for being honest. It's almost as if when David says this, that God's spirit leads him to write the very next thing he writes. He says, all right, yep, I got it. It's hate. And it is fully right there in my heart. And then he says this very thing. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's the end of the song. And I have a feeling what God did is say to David, thanks for the invitation. We're going to talk about your hate and how you feel about certain people. And now we can do business together. I said when we started this, this psalm, it answers two large looming existential questions about our life. The first is God with us. And so I, I know that he is. Sometimes I feel like he isn't. And so Psalm 139 continually leads me to a place where I come to an understanding that even when I feel alone, God can be with me. So I learn not to trust all my feelings and I learn to live open-handedly before God. That's the first big question. Are we alone in this world? And the answer is no. God is with us. But the second question is this. As David invites God into his heart, he knows that God is going to lead him along the path of everlasting life. In other words, even though David feels this intense hatred about other people, he brings it to God with no shame whatsoever. And he knows that God is going to welcome him with open arms. Shame is the feeling, not that you did a bad thing, but that you're a bad person. It's the feeling that Adam and Eve felt when they came out of the garden and realized they were naked. So they began to cover. It's what shame does. Psalm 139 teaches us that shame has no place in your walk with God, that you're to bring even the most ugly, hateful things in your heart to him, with him, and for him, and he will lead you down an everlasting path. This is why we take communion. And so you have some elements that are in front of you, and if not, then Cindy is going to make her way around the room and uh, hand them to those of you who are in the front row and you have just a minute while we talk about this, especially in regards to Psalm 139 and how beautiful it is. When Jesus died on the cross, he did so so that he would reconcile us to him. And so that our relationship with God would be transformed into one of I pay and then I'm restored to I am welcomed in with open arms. And we can have this relationship with God and pray a prayer just like David prayed. In fact, this is what I think you should pray today as we take communion together. And we'll do it all in unison in this place. And we'll do it in unison with those of you who are at home and online. We're gonna pray this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And Lord, would you point out anything in me that offends you? Is there anything in me, Lord, that you want to deal with? Is there a feeling that I have that you want to redeem? Psalm 139 teaches us that God redeems all things, even my hatred. And that he can put me in a relationship with somebody that before now, I've had feelings of, of 
distance, and fear, disunity, anger toward them. And yet he will bring me down a path of everlasting life, which is always about forgiveness and grace and mercy. But you can't do that unless you remember. We remember these elements because Jesus said when we do this, when we have a meal, this symbolic meal like we'll have today, the sacrament of communion, the, the gifts of God for the people of God. We remember that we were loved even while we were still separate, that we were loved even while we were still sinners, that we were loved even when we were stuck in the pit of our shame. And so Jesus, he took the bread the same way you will right now. And he held it up before his friends and us. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat and do this to remember me. friends in the same room he took a cup that would have been used for the Passover meal his Jewish family what he was taught when he was growing up he would become the Passover lamb now in this season of Lent we recognize that God is leading us to the cross and he took the cup and he said this cup is the cup of the new covenant it's in a, an agreement it's an arrangement between you and God. This arrangement means that love flows, mercy flows, one direction. Surrender flows from our hearts. He said this blood is of the new covenant. And it's offered for the forgiveness of your sins. So take all of you and drink from it. So right now, in the quietness of this moment, allow these words of the psalm to fill your heart. Let's pray it together. Lord, search us and know us. Lord, we don't come to you in fear, believing that you will condemn us. We come to you with joy, knowing that your love touches every part of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Search us and know us. So Lord, help us to be thoughtful about this gap between what we know and what we feel. We want to have integrity. We want to be one person who isn't ruled by unexpected swings of emotion. We know this side of heaven we will struggle, but we believe that you're leading us into a place of unity. So what is it, Lord, that you want to affirm in us? What is it that you want to pull out of us? Or we believe in this moment that we are fully known. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. 
point out anything that you want to deal with. And we pray this with the expectation, Lord, that you will draw us to you. place we have been reminded of your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness and that faithfulness comes through in the way that you have guided and led us your holy spirit pointing out these things in us we come with no shame we come with open hands surrendered hearts or in this place and in the homes that are watching right now we recognize that your presence is there and so we run to you evidence of answer prayer before our very eyes in so many different ways. So Lord, we know the last year has been such a journey and that this journey isn't over. We have days to come, hardships that we'll experience, joys, highs, and lows. But we surrender this to you now and we seal it with these lyrics as we pursue you and run to you with passion and purpose.